And so as we roll through this passage, uh, starting in uh, chapter 6, this is a kind of lengthy passage, but I want to read it from start to finish so that you hear the whole section, and then we will break it down piece by piece. So uh, what I'd like for you to do is read along with me as it's on the screen or listen to the story. Children, what I'd like for you guys to do today is sort of see if you can visualize the story. See if you can get a picture in your mind of what's happening as I, as I read through this story. And then we're going we're gonna to move through that. Starting with verse 7, we see that Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And he called the twelve to him, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. He said, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place, and as you do, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And then they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Let's skip ahead to verse 30. This is after they returned from their journey. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. But by this time, it was late in the day, and his disciples said to him, this is a very remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But then Jesus answered them. He said, you give them something to eat. Disciples said to him, well, it would take more than a half a year's wages. Where where are we to go and spend that kind of money on bread and, and give them something to eat? And then Jesus says to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they came back to him and said they had five and two fish. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And then the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda. And while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of a lake and Jesus was alone on the land. 
He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat and the wind died down and the disciples were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. So since we have some special guests here today, I wonder if anybody can remember some of the numbers we just talked about. So when Jesus looked around at all of the people and he saw them as sheep, uh, he, he said they were like sheep without a shepherd and then they were, got hungry and the disciples said, well, we can't pay for that much food and we're, Domino's doesn't even deliver out here. And he, he said, how much bread do you have? And they said, we have how many loaves? How many people remember? How many loaves did they have originally? Five. Only five. five. That's right. Can somebody remember how many fish they had? How many, how many fish right here? Yeah. Ten. Uh, ten? No. What, you remember how many was it? It was two, it was two fish. So they started with five loaves, right? And, they, and then they had how many? Two fish. That's correct. I'm not sure what kind of fish it was. Could have been big fish, little fish. I don't know. It was fish. So they had five loaves. To, and then Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. He lifted it up to heaven and he blessed the fish. And then they passed it out. How many people did Jesus actually feed with five loaves and two breads? Right there. What do you, how many? 1,000? No, even more than that. How many we got? How many back there? Did you know how many? It says 5,000 men. Now, that's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? Because uh, do you think there were only men there? No, there may have actually been more people than that. But there were 5,000 men. So correct answer. Good job. You get 1,000 points. All right. But what's also interesting is this. So they started with five and two, and then they fed 5,000, maybe even more. Then after everybody had eaten as much as they could possibly eat, they ate all the food that they wanted to eat. Then the disciples go around and they collected uh, some baskets full of the leftovers. Does anybody remember how many baskets full there were at the very end? Anybody? Anybody remember? Anybody? Oh, we, got, oh, we got a new person right here. Yeah. How many? There were 12 baskets full. So there were 12 things of leftovers after Jesus was finished. So I think it's just an amazing story, isn't it? That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? So like take five loaves, two fish, you feed over 5,000 people, then you still have 12 baskets full leftover, which is more than you had in the beginning. Crazy story. But then we go straight from that story into another story about Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, now that we've fed everybody, now that we've taught everybody, now that all this is going on, uh, he says, you guys have gone ahead of me because I, I need some time to do something. What did Jesus go and do from that point forward? What, did, what would Jesus do after he fed everybody and sent them along? Oh, yep, right there. He prayed. He went up onto the mountain by himself to spend some time alone with his heavenly father. So he's got them in the boat. They're out there. They're rowing because the wind is going against them. And, and it's taken them all night. Literally, Jesus looks down. And they're like halfway through the night and they haven't even gotten across the lake yet. And they're continuing the row. And Jesus is up there and he's praying and he's talking to God. And then what happens? This is another crazy part of the story. 
Like Jesus says, okay, well, they're over there. They're almost the other side of the lake. And, and I didn't really bring a boat with me. And, I don't, you know, and, and uh, my jet ski, I didn't have that either. And so he says, uh, I, he does this amazing thing. What does Jesus do at that point? What does Jesus do at that, at that point? He comes down from his prayer time and the disciples are on the other side. What does he do? Instead of what? He walks on top of the water. Is that correct? I mean, that's, that's what we just read. Like Jesus is walking on top of the water. Now, summer is, is coming to an end. We're getting, we're getting close to the end of summer. Has anybody been swimming recently in the last couple of days? Because it's like 80 degrees outside. So we got a couple people. Uh, when you swim, when you swim, typically, where does your body go when you get in the water? Wait, does what? You're, it sinks. You sink. Like typically, that's that's correct. Like if if we were to go out to the to the swimming pool or to the lake or to the ocean, most of us, uh, I, I'm going to dare to say, if we tried to walk on water, what would happen? We would sink. We would literally, we, we, we just don't, and some of us might be able to swim, some people might have our floaties on, I don't know, but we would not be on top of the water and we would not be walking on the water, would we? That's just a crazy, amazing thing that Jesus is doing. Is, is Bryn painting something about this right now? Can anybody see that, is, is, is there water in his painting? Can you see what's happening in that painting? Is there someone who's walking on the waves in that painting? Can you see that? So this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing that Jesus is just like I'm on this particular platform or this stage and, and, and it's holding me up. Jesus is somehow stepping on top of the, of the water. And, I, and again, like I talked about last week, I don't fully understand the science of it, but somehow Jesus is able to make uh, molecules that would normally be spread apart come together and now the, the, the water has become like a solid platform and he can, he can step on top of it and, and it holds him up and he doesn't sink. I don't fully understand what's going on here. So then Jesus gets into the, he gets into the area where the disciples are and they're rowing and the waves are crashing against them and it's taken them a long time to get across the lake. They're probably really tired. They look up and they see Jesus and what is their first thought? Their first thought is not, there's Jesus. Their first thought is what? There's a what? It's a ghost. And it, maybe it was uh, this time of year. Maybe it was a time of year where they're, they're used to seeing ghosts or something. I don't, I don't, but they look at him and they think that he's like a spirit. They don't realize that it's actually Jesus. And when they see this thing on the water, uh, they're terrified. They're scared to death. I mean, they are literally thinking, what is this that we're seeing? Maybe we're just too exhausted because we just came back from our journey. We tried to get away, but people just came running. Now we got it. we've been rowing all night. And, and what are we seeing? They started thinking it was a ghost. But then Jesus says to them, he immediately spoke to them. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Jesus does something pretty cool. He gets into the boat, and the wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, all this stuff is happening. The disciples are rowing, they can't seem to get anywhere, they're just kind of rowing in place. Jesus gets in the boat, and what happens? Everything becomes still and calm. And then it says this, it says literally that 
they were completely amazed. The Greek says that they were very much exceedingly amazed. They, it was over amazement. They were amazed and then amazed plus amazed times amazed to the seventh power. That's how amazed they were. They were like, what just happened? What just happened? They didn't understand it. They couldn't conceive it. They were like, you know, close to freaking out. And then we have this very interesting phrase. It's verse 52. And this is where we're going to camp for a couple of minutes. If you got your pens and your Bibles or your phones, you want to highlight this particular verse. It's the end of 51 leading to verse 52. I think it's on the screen. Can we put it back on the screen? Verse 51, he climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed. Here's the two things I want us to see. Look at this. For the disciples had not understood about the loaves. So they were completely amazed because they could not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Does anyone else in here find that to be a very interesting phrase? Because as I'm studying this, I get on that phrase and I start thinking to myself, what does the loaves have to do with walking on water? What does this, this thing that would, happens with the bread have to do with Jesus walking across the lake in the middle of the night? I start reading that and then I see you know, that they're, just, they're amazed again. They're just blown away again. They're completely uh, their, their whole concept of Jesus is that how could he do this? Like we had no idea he could do this. They've seen him do other miraculous things. They've seen him bring a little girl back from the dead. They've seen a woman healed. They've seen a guy who was paralyzed. They see him walk again. They've seen Jesus teach. They've seen Jesus confront evil spirits. They've seen all these amazing things. And here they go again. Jesus blows their mind. He completely stretches their faith. It's a concept we introduced a couple of weeks ago. That every time we think we've got a grasp on Jesus, every time we think we've got him figured out, every time we think that we know how he works, how he operates, what he could do, what he can't do, what he wants to do, what, every time we think we've got a grasp on Jesus, what does he do? He blows our minds, stretches our faith, and increases our ability to believe him for something more. And the disciples have just seen this again. They're amazed at him again. Like how could they learn? They've seen him do stuff like speak to the weather and it stops. And here they are. They're completely amazed at him again. And it says the reason they're amazed is because they did not understand about the loaves. What does it mean loaves? Kids, what is he talking about when he says loaves? He's talking about what? Pieces of bread. He's talking about pieces of bread. There was something about what happened with the bread that they don't quite understand. And the reason they don't understand this is because their hearts are hard. Their hearts have become hardened. There's something that Jesus wanted to teach them while he is multiplying this bread and he's giving it out to the 5,000 men or 10,000 people, whoever was there. He's, there's something they were supposed to learn about Jesus in that moment. Something that they were supposed to conceive about him. Something they're supposed to grasp about who he is. And they missed it because their hearts were hardened. 
few weeks ago, Jonathan Mike's got a chance to preach, and man, he, I love to listen to him. He's, he's such a gifted teacher. But he talked about the parable of the sower. Do you guys remember the parable of the sower? Uh, or some people call it the parable of the seeds. I, you know, whichever way you want to go is fine. But Jonathan talked about this story that Jesus told where this guy goes out, he sows the seeds, and the seeds fall, and uh, one of them falls in like the path, and one's on, ends on like some, uh, some soil that's good, and it grows. But there's one type of soil that falls on these rocky places. Literally, the seeds fall on rocks. And then he says they try to grow and they sprout up quickly, but then they can't get the roots down because the rocks are stopping the seeds from growing. And somehow those seeds, were, they grew up fast, but once they, once they grew up, they couldn't get the roots down and they don't produce anything. You see, this is sort of a, a, a connection back to that. When Mark is telling us that their hearts were hardened, it's like the, the seed had hit them. But it never really sprouted. It never got to grow. It never became what it could have been. And I think God is wanting us to stop here and and listen to this and think about it. Because I think this is a question we've got to ask ourselves this morning. What are the things that make our hearts hard? What are the things that make our hearts hard? I really believe that God has something that he wants to communicate to every person. Every one of you that are here today. I think God's got something he wants to say to you. I think he's got something that he wants to communicate to you in such a way that if you could just hear it. If you could just receive it. If you could just respond to whatever it is that God wants you to hear this morning. Whether you're sitting here or you're watching online or wherever you are and you're hearing this message, I think there's something that God wants to to do in your life. He wants you to, to, to think differently. He wants you to believe differently. He wants you to respond differently. I, I really believe God has something for every person that's here today, including myself. I think God, there's some things that God wants me to hear. He has a message for each one of us. If we could just understand these things, if we could comprehend them, maybe get our heads around it or grasp it, I think it would make a a radical difference in your life. I think it could literally change the trajectory of the next few days, weeks, years of your life. And that if you could hear what God had to say to you today, in, in five years, in ten years, you would end up in a different place if we could just hear God's message for us. But the problem is, I think sometimes we're just like these disciples. Our hearts have become hard. Our hearts have become so hard that his word can't take root in us. And I think about these disciples. Do you think if anybody could get it, wouldn't it have been these guys? I mean, come on. They have been talking with Jesus every day. They've been walking with Jesus every day. They've seen Jesus do all these amazing things. They're sitting in the boat with him but they still don't fully understand what it is he's trying to communicate to them. Their hearts have become hard. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what are the things that that cause a heart to become hard, that sort of block the transformation that God would like to do in our lives? What are the things that can make us hard? I think one of the things that can make us hard is this. I think sometimes life just hardens us. I think there are things that we go through. I think there's experiences that we have, ways that we've been hurt, 
Maybe ways that we've been let down. Things where, places where we tried to put ourselves out there and then something happens. And then what happens? You become tough. I mean, you, you had to get tough. Some of you guys have been through some really difficult things in your life. You've got experiences in your past and, and things that have happened to you that have, you've just had to get tough to get through it. And it was, I understand that. It was the right thing for that moment. It was the right thing in that moment. You had to get hard so that you could deal with hard things. But the problem is this. When you get hard from dealing with hard things, there comes a time in life where it's time to be soft again. There comes a time in life where you need to be open to love. There's a time in life where you need to be open to trust. There's a time in life where you really, you you need a soft heart, but you become so hard because of your experiences and you get trapped in those things and you can't, you can't hear it when someone tells you that they love you. You can't experience what it means to, to be a genuine person. And in this moment, when maybe God wants to say something to your heart, you've built up these walls that have become like a fortress. And you're so guarded, and you don't even know what it would feel like to live life without being guarded, without being tough, without being calloused. And your heart's just become hard. There's something that God wants you to hear today that you can't hear it because the fortress is so tall and the walls are so high. Maybe if you want to experience life in a different way, today might be the day where you can change. Where you might say, God, I, 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 maybe I can't tear these walls down, but I'm going to open a, open a crack in the door to see what you might do. Maybe it's time for a change. I think a second thing that makes our hearts hard is this, is I think sometimes it's just decisions that we make. Sometimes they seem like small decisions at the time, just little, little things that we do. But somehow those little decisions, they add up over a period of time. And, and those little decisions, you know, they kind of lead from this point to, to this point. And you don't even realize how you, how you got to the life that you are currently living. You don't, you know, how did I get here? How, sometimes you wake up and you start thinking, this is not the way I planned my life. This is not what I was thinking when I was younger. This is not how I envisioned that things were going to go. I mean, I had, the, had these great visions. I had these great dreams. I had this, this person that I would hope that I would be by the time I reached this age. And then you look back and you go, man, there's, just, there's, just, there's no connection between who you thought you were going to be to, to the person that you are now. And you're like, well, and you've become hard to things. Because little bit by little bit, you've drifted. Maybe it was just one small decision. It could have been like a, a small compromise somewhere along the way. I mean, you knew this was the right thing, but, but like, you know, you, you said, well, you know what? It's okay. I'm it's okay if I do this. And, and then that led to another thing. And the, the second thing, you were like, well, you know, I'm still struggling with this, but it was a little easier. And then, and then the next time, it was like you hardly even thought about it, and you're making that decision. And then now, all of a sudden, something that you never thought you would do has become a habit, and it's become part of who you are. And, then, and you get to where you are now, and you look back and go, this is not what I wanted. This is not the per- kind of person I wanted to be. But somehow you got there. You know, nobody starts out in life saying, I want to be a failure. Right? 
Nobody, nobody gets engaged and goes to the wedding and thinks to themselves, you know, I'm just hoping for a bad marriage. But somehow, over the years, things go that way. Nobody, nobody starts off thinking, you know, when I grow up, I want to be an addict. I mean, that's my goal. I, I, I want to be addicted to, to this or to that. Or to, you know, nobody starts off that way. Nobody plans on being in debt. That's, it's never part of the plan. You never graduate from, you know, from high school and think, you know, I just want to be $50,000 in debt when I, by the time I reach 25. But somehow, little bit by little bit by little bit, you, you get from there, you, you get to there, and then you look back on your life and you start thinking, I, I, I'm lonely here. My, my life, I, I feel empty. Nobody puts into their retirement portfolio, when I get to be retired, I want to be grumpy, I want to be angry, I want to be bitter with life. But how many people end up there? And they've become hard. And I think about, well, how, how, what's the solution to this? How do, we, how do we get out of having hard hearts? How do we get to the place where we understand what God wants to do in our life? I really think God has something to say to us but the hard hearts are actually keeping us away from the life that God wants for you. It's not how God wanted your life to turn out either. I love this prayer. It's in Psalm 51. It's not going to be on the screen because I think God gave this to me this morning. And sometimes those curveballs are, are hard for tech teams. I appreciate what you guys do, man. I, seriously, I do. But Psalm 51, David has gotten to that point in his life where he's realized some of these decisions I've made have led me to a path that I didn't want to, to land at. Some of these decisions I made in a weak moment have led to something that I deeply regret. And this psalm is his response to that. Get more into this later. That's your homework assignment. But I want to look at just two little verses here from Psalm 51. This is David. He says this. He says, this is a prayer to the Lord. He says, Lord, create in me a pure heart. He, he, he prays to God. He says, God, my heart's been divided. My heart has, has gone astray. I, I, I've, I've gotten to a place in life where I never thought I would get to. But right now, can you create in me a pure heart? Can you purify what's inside of me again? Can I get a fresh start, God? Create in me a pure heart. It says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then this is his prayer. He says, he comes before God. He says, my sacrifice, O God. The thing that I, thing that I bring to you, when it, that song we sang, come to the altar. That's what it's talking about, is coming before this altar of God and sacrificing something and bringing something to God. He says, my sacrifice, God, is not a lamb, it's not money, it's not that. It's what I want to bring to you, God, is I want to bring to you a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. I think the secret to fixing our hard hearts is found in this particular passage. I think the secret is here. Yeah, I mean, going to therapy, I think it's important sometimes. 
Sometimes you need to talk to somebody. Sometimes you need to call a friend. Sometimes you need to spend time with a friend. That's important to have somebody else to talk to. Sometimes you need to pick up a book. You need to listen to some sermons or some, some, some Christian encouragement uh, through like a podcast or some music. Sometimes you need to do that. But if we're ever really going to have a softened heart, a pure heart, sometimes we've got to pray a really difficult prayer. And that is, God, I need you to fix me. And the way David prays this, it's basically, God, if you're going to fix me, first of all, you got to break me. You got to take my heart, which has become so hard, has become so callous, and has become so distant from you, and you've got to break my spirit, God, because my spirit wants to run from you. My spirit wants to go the opposite direction. I've been pushing this way. I've been going this way, but I realize that's not who I want to be. That's not the person that I was put here to become. That's not what you, that's your hope for me. That's not your prayer for me. My heart's become so hard that I need you to give me a new heart, and giving me a new heart may mean, God, I need you to break me first. And for some people, that may be the most difficult prayer you've ever prayed. It's God, I know that I need to be in a new place to have a new heart, but you've got to break me first. And when God breaks your heart, guess what he can do with it? He can put it back together. And now you go from living this hard life this callous life, this life that, that is just afraid to live and to love and to trust and to believe, to now you can have a heart that's wide open to whatever God wants to do in you. And when lessons come to you, like the lessons of the, of the broken bread, whatever that might be, now you're ready for it. Now you're ready for God's love to enter your heart. Now you're ready for, to be the kind of person that, that God can use to change the world. Now you're ready to, to trust because you know that God has got you. You may be struggling at the oars. You may be pushing against the waves. Life may feel like you're getting nowhere. It's been a long night for these disciples as they're out there rowing. I mean, they should have been across that lake hours ago. But here they are. They're still rowing and the wind is coming against them. And all of a sudden, they see something that, that freaks them out. They think it's a ghost. And no, it's Jesus. And man, if they could just have understood who he was. I'm going to go to one verse. We're skipping a whole lot here. Thanks, Dan, for appreciating where I'm going with this. I want to go to that one verse where I break down that final statement of Jesus. It's got some Greek stuff on it. I know, I like the Greek. You guys are like, what? He's got another Greek word? Every week he comes in here with another Greek word. This one would be immediately he spoke to them. It's verse 50. Immediately, Jesus spoke to the disciples. So, so they've been rowing. They've had the whole thing with the 12 baskets and the bread. And now they're rowing. They're trying to cross the lake. They thought he's a ghost. Jesus gets in the boat. And he says something to them while they're terrified, while they're scared to death. He says this statement. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Do you see this simple statement? It's a very simple statement. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I want, I want to break this down in the Greek. It's actually just four words in the Greek. Tharso ego imi mifoba. You're like, what? 
just trying to impress you. I really want you guys to like me, so I'm going to drop some things like this. You're going to think, oh, dude, this guy's kind of smart. Yeah. <laughs> no. The only time I share these Greek words with you is when I read it and I go, wow, this is so deep. I want you to hear this. Literally, this is what that phrase is. Now, some of you who've been following uh, Christianity for a while, some of you who are Old Testament scholars, this is going to mean something to you, and then I'm going to explain it to to the rest of us who, you know, sometimes we don't. It, the statement says this, have courage. First word, thrasso. Have courage. Last statement is not fear. Have courage, not fear. It's a sandwich of sort, <laughs> the loaf. And you got the meat in the middle. What's the meat in the middle? The meat in the middle is simply this. Jesus says, have courage, not fear. Why? Because I am. Why can we have courage? Why can we not fear? Jesus says, because I am. That's literally what it says. I am. Jesus is simply saying so many things with this one statement. First of all, let's just look at it on a surface level. Why can we have courage? Why can we not fear? Because Jesus exists. He is here. He is present. He is on the scene. So wherever you're tempted to fear, wherever you're tempted to lose courage, be encouraged because Jesus is Real, he is the I am. There's more to this statement. Those of you who've studied the Old Testament, you maybe remember a conversation that Moses had with God. Moses had been wandering from God. Moses had gotten into some trouble in Egypt. He ran away to the desert and he lived in the desert uh, as a shepherd for 40 years. His life was just spinning. He wasn't getting anywhere. God had created him for a purpose. God created him to be a leader. God created him to be a rescuer of his people. But now he had spent 40 years out in the desert tending the sheep, looking at sheep. And he had this one moment where he saw something in the distance. He said, well, I'm going to check that out. And it was a bush and it was on fire and this bush is flaming up. And, and, and all of a sudden this bush starts talking to him. You got to go look at this story. It's, it's a crazy story. Book of Exodus. This bush speaks to him. And from it comes this voice, and the voice says to him, I'm sending you back to Egypt to get my people. They've been enslaved. They've been crying out to me. I've heard their cries. This is God speaking to them. I've heard their cries, and I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you to go get them. And Moses is, is overwhelmed. He's like, well, 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 well. He says, I don't know how to speak. I don't know what. He says, I'm gonna, you can do it. And Moses is trying to come up with these excuses of why he shouldn't and why he couldn't and maybe he should call somebody else. And, and he says to him, he says to, the, to, to, to God, as God's speaking to him, he says, God, if I get there and I start telling these people that God spoke to me, what am I to tell them that your name is? What's your name, God? Because like, I don't know. And he says to him, God, speaking to Moses, says, tell them, I am. That's my name. 
I am. Literally, the phrase in Hebrew means I was, I am, I will be. Do you see what Jesus is telling his disciples when he gets in the boat and the calm storm? Have courage. Do not fear. I am. I don't know where you've had fear. I don't know where you've been discouraged. I don't know where your heart has become hardened. But this morning, there's a very simple message to you. Jesus, he is. He has been. And he will be. I am. I hope that some of you hear that this morning where maybe you felt alone, maybe you felt betrayed, maybe you felt forgotten, maybe you felt weak. Know that Jesus is. He is the I am. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, I don't know where this speaks to some folks who needed to hear this. I trust that your spirit has been here. I trust that your spirit has led us. I trust that, uh, that you are working. You're stirring up things in our hearts and in our minds and in places where we could trust you more, where we could believe in you more, where we might need to have faith in you. And Lord, maybe our life has felt like we're, we're out on the waves and we're pushing and we're rowing and it just doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. All of life has just come against us and we just feel stuck. I pray that you would give us a vision of of you. A vision of what the I am could do in our lives. The Jesus that can take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands. The Jesus that, that commands nature. That rules the universe. Is the same Jesus that went to the cross voluntarily to die so that we might be forgiven. That's the great I am. And that's his great love for us. Lord, help us to hear this today. Help our hearts not to be so hard that we walk out of here the same people that walked in. Maybe there's something you want to do in our hearts and our minds and our lives this this day and this week that will completely change where we end up a year from now. Help us to to trust you, to believe in you, and to step into that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.